2: Hi, it's Claire. Before we begin our investment masterclass episode, I'd like to ask you for a few minutes of your time, and it could net you £250. We want to know what you, the listeners, think about the Money Clinic podcast, and in particular, what areas of your financial lives you'd like me and the experts to help you with in our next season. Go to ft.com slash moneyclinicsurvey. That's ft.com slash moneyclinicsurvey. Spend a few minutes telling us what you think, and you'll have a chance of winning that £250 prize money. Retail is not dead. Brexit could help UK companies. Take a small punt on Bitcoin. Keep your money invested in fossil fuel companies and reassess your holdings in expensive tech stocks. These are pretty punchy opinions about the investment world, and they come from one of the FT's top opinion writers, the columnist Merrin Somerset-Webb. In this special Money Clinic masterclass, Merrin will be talking listeners through her own personal investment strategy and the forces she believes will be shaping the stock market in years to come. I
3: think now is a really good time for everyone to sit down and say, now some of the stuff in my portfolio is extremely expensive. Perhaps it's time to look at what offers more value.
2: Welcome to Money Clinic the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. I know listeners have got an insatiable appetite for hearing more about investment. With millions of young people becoming investors for the first time during the pandemic, it's hardly surprising. In previous episodes, we've covered how to get started. You know, COVID hadn't even happened at that point, and I'm like, I need to make sure that I... Plan for my long-term future. The GameStop craze. I really want to know how do I take my investments and strategy from being short-term and uh, avoid the get-rich-quick schemes. And the growing trend for ethical investing.
1: How can I find out whether a company genuinely is socially responsible? I'll give you an example. Tesla, for instance.
2: Mm, Uh, that's a very good example. But the perennial question that dogs investors is where do markets go from here? One of the most read columns in the Financial Times, Merrin Somerset-Webb's weekly take on stock market trends is required reading for investors. A few episodes ago, she came on the show and spoke to 19-year-old day trader Ross, who wanted to switch his strategy to investing for the long term.
3: What you don't want to do is when you're trying to invest for the long term is to get into a mentality of watching stuff all the time. You only need to do it every three to six months unless you see something dramatic
2: Changing. I caught up with Merrin a few weeks ago at the FT Weekend Festival and quizzed her about how her own investment strategy has changed in the past year, and where she thinks investors can find value as the pandemic rages on and stock markets around the world hit all-time highs. Merrin has strong opinions. You may not always agree, but she'll get you thinking, and just so we're 100% clear we are not financial advisors. Our discussion of investment trends and how we run our own portfolios is for information only, aimed at people who feel confident making their own investment decisions. It doesn't constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. If you want that, you'll need to see an independent financial advisor. We'll address some questions from first-time investors later, including a quick explainer about how dividends work. But I wanted to start By asking Merrin about the bigger picture. UK retailers and shopping centre owners have suffered the most from lockdowns, but are they worthy of investor attention as things start to open back up again? You've obviously got a lot of British companies that are very exposed to the pandemic. I'm thinking about retail, you know, physical retail in particular. Now, the valuations of stocks like that has kind of gone. Almost beyond bargain basement level, are you as confident about the potential recovery of that sector of the market? Or is that something that makes you feel a bit more nervous? Remember that when you say they're bargain basement, these things have already bounced back and we were
3: looking at them as though they were never going to collect any rents again. But in fact, you know, rents for particularly out of town retail. So, you know, those big retail parks that in many ways have stayed open throughout the whole pandemic, you know, the places that have the big supermarkets, that have the DIY stores b and this kind of thing. Pets at home, where we all still go. Well, I certainly do anyway. Our rabbits get jolly hungry. Um, everyone has still been able to use these shops and they've stayed open.
2: They also have big, airy shops, except that people maybe feel more comfortable going to. Like all good stock pickers, Merrin can see that while the retail and property sectors have suffered, as a company level, some stocks have got better prospects of recovery than others. So there is going to be a difference between high
3: street retail which is going to continue to suffer, I suspect, in the same way that it has been for the last decade, a shift from the high street out to the retail parks And that, like so many of the things that we've seen during COVID, this has accelerated. So retail is not dead. Physical retail is not dead. It's just shifting. We still like to shop and don't forget that in the UK, shopping is is a leisure activity for many people. And actually, I've never thought of shopping as a leisure activity myself, but you know, I'm beginning to come round to the idea that just simply meandering around a shop of my choice, buying stuff that I fancy on a whim might
2: be something I might in future look at as a leisure activity. Here's a fact that might surprise you. The highest rising retail share on the FTSE 100 Index of the UK's biggest companies in the past year wasn't Ocado, the online grocer. It was Kingfisher, the owner of DIY chain B&Q. Its shares were much cheaper to start with and it's profited during the pandemic as people spend money on home improvements. So you can see, having a contrarian view can be profitable but it can also attract controversy. Take Merin's views on investing in cryptocurrencies, for instance. Let's talk about Bitcoin because this is a really, really hot topic right now. It's also one that lots of younger readers especially are interested in. Now, you hold Bitcoin, which may shock some people watching. Of course I do. I'm a very open-minded person, Claire. And so, um,
3: you know, I hold Bitcoin for the same reasons that I've continued to hold tech companies that I've believed to be horribly overpriced for the last uh, five, six, seven years, because I'm very often wrong. And when I looked at Bitcoin initially, I didn't get it. I might understand blockchain, and I might understand the point of cryptocurrencies. Um, but then do I understand why it would be that Bitcoin would be the winner in the cryptocurrency world? I mean, there are, what, 1,500 cryptocurrencies. Why Bitcoin? And I don't buy the idea that Bitcoin is another kind of gold. I'm not sure I buy the idea that it's a particularly effective money because what we want from money in the main is stability, not insane volatility. And what do we have with Bitcoin? We have insane volatility.
2: The price of Bitcoin has certainly been volatile this year, driven in part by Elon Musk, the billionaire founder of Tesla, which has been buying and selling Bitcoin. This has persuaded some sceptical investors to take crypto more seriously as a store of value. So there's lots of reasons why I look at Bitcoin and
3: say, you know, I really don't get this. But on the other hand, there's a lot of really, really clever people I know who tell me that they do get it. So I have a small direct holding in Bitcoin on on Coinbase, which I can promise you is not worth hacking. Okay? Not worth (laughs) hacking. Don't even try. Um, And that means that if Bitcoin goes to the moon, if it goes to a million dollars, I'm not going to be really, really upset because I've got a a small stake in the game. And if it collapses, you know, my children will, will probably still eat and i think that is the way to approach an investment in bitcoin at the moment.
2: Merrin's point is crypto is a highly volatile investment. So she restricts her exposure to a small percentage of her overall portfolio. Coinbase, which Merrin mentioned, is a cryptocurrency exchange which hit a market value of nearly 100 billion US dollars when it listed on Wall Street in April. So far, its share price has been pretty much as volatile as the cryptocurrencies it trades. There are many other ways investors can get exposure to crypto other than buying Bitcoin directly. Another example is owning shares in Tesla or investing in funds that own Tesla, like the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, which Merrin herself has money in. In many cases,
3: your assets are allocated reasonably passively and they end up in things that you don't necessarily expect. So one of the things that I said in a column a few weeks ago was, uh, by the way, if you hold Scottish mortgage, you also hold Bitcoin, because you hold
2: Bitcoin via Tesla. Did you know that? Take a leaf out of Merin's book and think carefully about the pros and cons before you invest, and how much of your portfolio you want to risk allocating to volatile investments. Now, let's turn to where Merin thinks today's investors can find value. One of the things I've written about a lot over the last six
3: months or so is where the best value in the world is. And rather wonderfully, it's here at home. You know, The FTSE 100 is probably the most value-orientated market
2: in the world. So
3: that's where I'm looking at the moment.
2: Before we discuss the UK market, let's take a moment to unpick what investors mean when they talk about value as a strategy, a key theme for the rest of the podcast. In a nutshell, Value investors target shares in unloved, unfashionable companies that they think the stock market is underestimating. They're prepared to hold for the long term in the hope that their share prices bounce back. To determine whether a share is good value or not, they drill down into the company's financial fundamentals, turnover, cash flow, profits, dividends, and how these could be influenced by trends in the wider market. Merrin believes many investors have underestimated the UK market due to fears about Brexit and the effects of the pandemic.
3: I think what I always said about Brexit was that it wouldn't, over the long term, make a very significant difference to us. Uh, It would make a mild positive difference. And I still think that. And uh, everything that's happening at the moment, uh, various disruptions, et cetera, we can still call those teething problems unless they're still going on in 10 years, at which point I will throw my hands up and say, OK, that's too long for teething problems. But right now, yes, the fact that it has now been resolved is something that will be good for the UK as a whole. If there is a market in the world that says to you, recovery trade coming out of COVID trade, it is the UK market.
2: So why exactly does Merrin think some UK stocks offer good value? The UK is sort of bizarrely cheap. You know, We're still below the level we were in 1999.
3: Every other market has soared way above that. If you look at what is in this index, it's all the things that should do well from here. So, you know, miners, energy, banks, healthcare, etc. They're not particularly expensive. They offer you something of a yield. And no, we really still need yields. We can pretend we don't, but we do still need a yield.
2: Now for our promised explainer on dividend yields. There are two ways that you can profit from owning shares. The first is obvious, the share price goes up and your investment is worth more than you paid for it. The second, dividend payments you might receive as a shareholder which companies pay out from their profits. Not all companies pay dividends, but plenty of stocks in the value category do, such as big oil and consumer goods companies. Investors get a set amount of money for every share they hold. The yield is a way of expressing the value of that dividend payment relative to the cost of buying a share in that company. So if a company had a share price of £1 and it paid an annual dividend per share of five pence, we'd say it had a 5% yield. Back to Merrin on why yields matter for investors.
3: There's a wonderful cartoon someone showed me the other day of a a young person looking up to an older person and saying, these dividends you speak of, where did they used to come from? (laughs) They're still out there. They're still out there, but a lot of them are in the UK. So now that foreign investors can and will come back because they can see that our vaccine program has been hugely successful because Brexit is slightly out of the way, don't have to worry about it anymore. I think we will begin to see people coming
2: back into this market, and we are already. Another area of the market she thinks investors could have overlooked, shares in smaller European companies. One of the interesting
3: things that has happened over the last couple of years is that while people have been looking at the UK and saying, oh, I don't want to touch that with a barge pole, there's also been a view emerging of Europe as bureaucratic, difficult to deal with, filled with the same kind of nasty old companies that we have in the UK. But of course, actually, there are huge parts of Europe, like everywhere, that are incredibly entrepreneurial. There are smaller companies in Europe under research to a large degree, which makes a lot of them undervalued. So just like in the UK, there's this overlay of the stereotypical European company, and then there is the underlay of creativity and entrepreneurialism that
2: we have here as well. A question from an FT reader that I put to Merin was how she invests her own money. She was keen to flag the benefits of ISAs, tax-free investment accounts that UK investors can open. There is so much choice in the UK. All the platforms offer good, cheap ISA wrappers for this.
3: What I do is I have a core portfolio of six investment trusts that I really like and that
2: I think provide a balanced, diversified portfolio for the core of my money. Merrin's core holdings are shares in investment trusts, an easy way of backing a particular investment theme. Managed by professional fund managers, they do the hard work picking shares in companies they think will outperform the wider market. And investors pay an annual management fee for their expertise.
3: I really don't think that people starting out as investors should try and build their own portfolios of individual stocks. I think it's incredibly difficult to do. I think it's incredibly time consuming and it's very risky. And I know there is a big argument about whether one should pay active fund managers or not to do this job for you. think that it's something that one should probably do. The fund management industry gets an awful lot of stick. But if its core purpose is simply to invest your money in a really reasonably diversified way and hang on to it at an increasingly low cost, then they're doing a perfectly good job.
2: Fees are definitely something you need to keep an eye on. But one of the biggest conundrums today is whether value investing will prove to be a better strategy than growth investing. Merrin thinks value is coming to the fore, but as an investment style, it has been out of fashion for quite some time. Growth investing, buying the shares of fast-growing companies typified by technology stocks, has performed strongly. Very few growth stocks pay dividends, but that hasn't been a problem, as the price of tech stocks has soared even higher during the pandemic. The question that's worrying Merrin is what might happen next? basically everything is expensive. There
3: is almost nothing cheap left in stock markets. But where the real price prices have been is in that sector of the market that has benefited so much from lockdown. Call it the Zoom economy, call it what you like. These tech stocks, uh, some of them are loss-making, some of them are not, but they're not exactly providing you with an income. But those stocks you might look at and say, do I want to have them? Now we're moving into a, a different environment, a, a vaccine-driven recovery particularly, I think that people should be looking at, and I did write about this a while
2: ago, looking at some of their passive holdings. Merrin's point here is even if you don't hold shares in the big tech companies like Amazon, Facebook and Apple directly, you will be exposed to them if you're an investor in passive funds, which track the overall movement of stock markets. Because if you hold any
3: global passive fund you have a very large amount of your money in maybe six very expensive stocks. So I think now is a really good time for everyone to sit down and say, wow, I've probably made an awful lot of money since March. This was not expected. Now some of the stuff in my portfolio is extremely expensive. Perhaps it's time to look at what offers more value. Stop Stop me talking when you want to, Claire. But you know the conversation in the market at the moment is, is this rotation from growth to value, from stuff that is expensive but growing
2: to stuff that is cheap but maybe not growing going to continue? And, and my view is that it is. The approach that Merrin is taking with her own money is to take profits by selling some of those tech-powered growth investments that have performed so brilliantly in the past year and rebalance her portfolio by buying into companies, funds or investment trusts that are focused on value. How much or how little you might want to do this with your own investments is up to you. But allow me to underline Merrin's trade-off. If big tech companies continue to soar, there's a risk she could miss out on further growth by switching into value. But if tech stocks take a tumble, she's hoping her portfolio will be less exposed to any sudden price drop. And in the meantime, there's some dividend income to sweeten the deal. We'll end on a green note. One of Merrin's most controversial FT Weekend columns this year concerned ESG investing, short for Environmental, Social and Governance. And investing in companies that uphold these values. Now, ESG investing is an issue that all investors are very concerned about, but younger investors particularly. Now, you've argued in your column, somewhat controversially, that actually chucking out these big oil companies from your portfolio may actually not be the right thing to do, even if you are a person who is worried about climate change.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, And I absolutely think that. I mean, there's so much greenwashing going on at the moment and the whole subject of what is ESG, what isn't ESG was hugely fraught and hugely nuanced. But there is a general view from the man on the street that you look at companies that you might consider bad and the good thing to do is just not invest your money in bad companies. And so that's fossil fuels, it's mining. You can't possibly want something that is good for the planet and also hold these filthy, filthy companies. So that's the, the general view. And you look at it and you think, well, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. If I sell all my shares in an oil company, what am I actually doing apart from making
2: myself feel good? And the answer is basically, you know, nothing good at all. Merrin's argument is that it's better to stay invested in these fossil fuel companies to make sure they change for the better rather than pulling your money out. One thing that you might do is
3: make it harder for them to raise new money. But a lot of these companies, they don't need money anyway. They're just in the business of running their business. So all that happens when you sell their shares is that their shares get cheaper and the business simply carries on. And if you make the shares cheaper, then what happens? Somebody else will buy them. And that somebody else may not care at all about the climate. So they're not going to put any pressure on the company at all. And as I think I said in the column, the correct way forward is not to hold less of these things, it's to hold more of these things. If you're a responsible person, you should want to buy as
2: much of this stuff as you can get your hands on. Finally, Merrin is also concerned about the expensive valuations of many ESG investments. The green bubble, as it's becoming known, is something that really has been an extraordinary story during the pandemic. But Can I just say on on the green bubble that we love bubbles? bubbles in this
3: context are an absolutely fantastic thing because do we need a renewable energy revolution of course we do and is it wonderful that lots of money is going into it absolutely that's what bubbles do they provide the finance for transformative change they overpay for it think railways etc but you know FT readers don't have to be in that bubble somebody else can
2: finance <laughs> oh you're so you're so cheeky meryl that's why we love you That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you enjoyed this investment masterclass with Merrin Somerset Webb. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And don't forget, you could win £250 by filling out our survey. The link is in the show notes. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. Take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just to say it once more, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's The Small Print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.